And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. If you turn with us to Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, together we'll look at the differences between being controlled by the flesh and being controlled by the Holy Spirit. We'll also see that flesh will never, ever oppose itself. Ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Robert Elliott. Since you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as? Let's consider this. The world is not the continents and the oceans and the poles of the globe. The world is a system, a world view a way of sizing up life that leaves Jesus Christ completely out. We see that in education, politics, philosophy, finance, the arts. All the systems that make up Americans' worldview right now, they cheerfully, fully leave Jesus Christ out. That's the world we're talking about. The decrees, what are these decrees? If you, since you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, if you, as if you are living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? Decrees are non-biblical, hard and fast rules for self-actualization and personal fulfillment. It's saying that if you just know certain rules that aren't found in the Bible, and if you'll just try to keep them, you can save yourself and give yourself a happy, fulfilled, peaceful life. And Paul is saying to the Colossians, and the Holy Spirit is saying now, since you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees, such as, verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men. Perish here is the idea that the man-made stuff, the man-made philosophies, the man-made legalism, the man-made mysticism, the man-made asceticism is all going to burn up. When this world is incinerated, as we're told in Peter in the New Testament that it will be, all that stuff will be burned up. None of it is asbestos. None of it is fireproof. It'll all get burned up. So Christian, you who are dead to this because you're united with Christ, Christian, because now you're controlled by the Holy Spirit here and now, why would you kowtow, bow down, listen to, and give consideration to all these decrees that are all only going to burn up? Why would you do that? Then it says, fleshly indulgence. We go on. Verse 23, 
These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgences. What he's saying is, why live as though the flesh is driving you when you now have an enlivened spirit, you now have an indwelling Holy Spirit, why should you pay attention to all this stuff that leaves Jesus Christ out and tries to win a salvation for yourselves? Why should you bother? Because you know what else he says? It says that they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. This is a picture of the Holy Spirit of God used motor oil. When the Spirit of God has control of you by not you getting more of him, but him getting more of you, when you walk according to the Holy Spirit, filling and controlling your mind, your mouth, your thoughts, your actions, then the Spirit of God will bring your flesh into check. Only the Holy Spirit of God, given by God at your conversion, will suppress your flesh. That is how it works, but asceticism, mysticism, legalism, philosophies without God, they would tell you, just try that for fulfillment. Just try that for insight. Just try that for a fulfilling life, a happy life, a peaceful life. But if you pour more water into what's already a problem, water inside your heart, it gets worse. It doesn't get better. So praise God that in his wisdom, love, and goodness. He's given us the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you have all of the Holy Spirit you ever will get. You don't ever get more of him. The question becomes, does he get more of you? Does the Spirit of God get more of you to control than yesterday? The Christian's flesh will never be neutralized by the flesh the Christian's flesh will only be neutralized by the Holy Spirit. I just have to tell you this. I didn't have this, so I had to go to TJ Maxx yesterday to buy this. And I didn't know what to buy before I settled on this. And one of the things I bought, a, a plexiglass salad bowl, kind of a fancy one with a, a, the lip had a roll to it. And I'm looking at um, charger cords for my uh, iPhone on a display, and I've got my cart with this salad bowl thing in it, and this in it, and one other glass thing I was thinking about, and this is what I hear. Wow, what would you do with that? Is that a salad bowl? And so I turned around, and I said, oh, we're talking about what's in your cart. You know, you have good taste. I couldn't resist. I said, do you know what I'm going to do with that? I said, I'm a preacher, and tomorrow at church, I'm going to use that and motor oil and water to illustrate with water that we have flesh that needs to be contained by the Holy Spirit of God who comes inside of us after we trust Jesus to be our Savior to control the flesh. I'm going to pour the motor oil into it, and it's going to push down the water. (laughs) The, The young woman looked at me. She didn't know whether to spit or wind or watch. She really didn't. And But the mother who was younger than me, but a lot of people are nowadays. She, um, she said, that's good teaching. Conversations to spiritual things, right? The Spirit of God, your flesh. Flesh will never fight flesh. 
Only the Spirit of God will control and suppress your flesh so that it won't control you, but he will control you. Very crucial. And that's the thrust of 20 to 23, Colossians 2. If, since you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Judaism was into that. If you want to get saved, then don't do this. You want to be loved by God, then do that. Don't do this. Problem was the Pharisees added to the Old Testament law, and they created a standard that they themselves never kept, but they put that standard as a heavy yoke on other Jewish people, and Jesus got really angry with them. Christ plus nothing makes us right with God. Amen? Christ plus nothing makes us right with God. 22, which all refer to the things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teaching of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. The flesh looks good. Look how it sparkles. We can make a picture of it and worship it on the wall. We can make a statue of it and bow down to it for it to help us to live better lives. It looks so good. Flesh looks so good. But... Appearance of evil and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Flesh will never curb flesh. Only the Holy Spirit can neutralize our flesh. In Romans 7, if you want to go there, the Apostle Paul was involved in a heart's battle that you and I are involved in. And um, in Romans 7, starting at verse 15, he's talking about this whole battle in him. The Holy Spirit was in him. His flesh was in him. But sometimes he let the water overrule the oil, much to his own frustration and guilt. Some people, when I read the verses I'm going to read of Romans 7, 15 and following say, aha, he wasn't saved yet. I don't believe that because it wouldn't make any sense because Romans 5 is justification, Romans 6 is sanctification, Romans 7 is also sanctification, and Romans 8 is glorification. So if the argument is being made that Romans 7 is pre-Christ, pre-salvation, that this is what they're wanting you to believe. Chapter 5, justification Chapter 6, sanctification. Chapter 7, before salvation. Chapter 8, glorification. It makes no logical sense in the progression of the book of Romans. So Romans 7 that I'm going to read is not Paul's experience before he was saved. It is his experience after he was saved. The Romans 7, the verses I'm going to read, is your experience after you became a Christian. It's your experience today. It's my experience today. It's going to be our experiences until we see Christ. And now, today's personal God story. Good morning. I'm in the studio with Rosanna McCurry. And we've been talking about your dad. And last time you told us that he's now a Baptist minister. But he wasn't always that way, and you mentioned that uh, your dad witnessed the murdering of his dad by the IRA, and that prompted him to want to join the Ulster Volunteer Force uh, to 
vindicate and to uh, have a vendetta against those that killed his father. And at the tender age of 16 years old, he actually uh, was told to kill a man, and he did, and then was arrested, uh, brought before a judge, sentenced to life in prison. And at that point in his life, he had no remorse. He felt he'd done the right thing. He would do it all over again if he had the chance. And um, he basically laughed at the judge's face when the judge sentenced him to life in prison. And then what happened? Yeah, so then he was brought to the prison. So he was, um, it was called the maze, and that was where terrorists from both sides went. Oh, really? So, yeah, you had those from the UVF, the Ultra Volunteer Force, the Protestant Loyalists, okay, so those who wanted to stay in Britain, but also those from the Irish Republican Army. Whoa. So I think... This was another big turning point for my dad, because suddenly here he was in prison. Outside of prison, they'd been killing each other, but in prison, they had to get along peacefully. Wow, that's something. Yeah, so, and I think he always said that for him, he thought, well, if we can come to an agreement in prison, why can't we come to an agreement out of prison? That's a good question. And he couldn't work out in his head how suddenly, in prison, they got along, but outside of prison... They would happily kill each other if they saw one another. Yes. So I think he asked someone about that, um, and they said, well, it's no joke to send some mother's son into the visiting room with a black eye, saying that, you know, if somebody comes to visit their child in prison, Mm -hmm. and it looks like they've been beat up and they're not having a good time there as such... That's no joke. But then, of course, for my dad, he thought, well, out of prison, we would send some mother's son home in a in a box, in a coffin. Wow. So he kind of had all these thoughts going on in his head. He couldn't work it out. He still had the anger and bitterness inside of him because of what had happened. Right. What were his thoughts, if any, about God? Um, at this point, he still had no thoughts about God. God did not feature Um, But he did think a lot about politics. Mm -hmm. So he thought, well, you know, if there's an answer inside of prison, there must be an answer outside of prison. So Mm -hmm. he looked into political theories, different political ideologies Mm -hmm. to try to see what the solution could be. But at this point, he still didn't believe that there was a God and he didn't believe that God could sort out any of these problems. So even though he didn't believe there was a God, there was a God who loved him and came to him. Yes. And how did God come to your dad? What happened was there were a few different people in the prison at this stage who believed in God and had become Christians. Mm -hmm. My dad was not one of them. Um, But one day he started to receive magazines from New Zealand. So it had a New Zealand postmark addressed to my dad, you know, the H block, the maze prison. That's where he was. Um, And he said that he got this envelope. He opened it. And he took out what was inside, and it was a Christian magazine. Wow. So he saw this. He didn't know where it had come from. He doesn't know anyone in New Zealand to this day. Um, so he saw that it was Christian, and he threw it in the bin. Threw and it in the garbage. Threw it in the garbage, yeah, in the trash. <laughs> that was my British coming out. And that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think three months later, he got another magazine. He did the same thing. He threw it in the trash. From New Zealand. From New Zealand. From a person unknown. The same thing three months later. So he said to one of the, one of his fellow inmates, who at this time was a Christian, um, he told him about these magazines and said that he had passed them to him because my dad was not interested. He didn't want to read it. He didn't want to hear about God. Mm -hmm. So this went on for some time. And then one evening, um, he had to go to the medical room. So he suffers from headaches 
I do as well. I mm. get that from my dad. Uh-huh. Um, but he had to go and get some migraine tablets. Yes. Um, he was in the medical room and his Christian friend came in and my dad asked him if he had received the magazines. Then his friend asked, where are they from? To which my dad said, well, I don't know. I don't know anyone in New Zealand. And at this point, the medical officer said, well, perhaps it's God sending you those magazines. The medical officer. So the medical officer also happened to be a believer. And he said, well, perhaps God's sending you them. Um, So to that, my dad kind of laughed and he said, well, I don't believe in God. So for him, it wasn't possible. And then the next thing the medical officer said really, really struck my dad and really spoke to him. So he had said, I don't believe in God. And he had heard, you know, responses to this. And he expected the medical officer to say, well, the fool said in his heart, there is no God or come back with some argument like that. Yes. Um, But in fact, he said, well, regardless of whether you believe in God does not take away the fact that he exists and that if you die in the state that you're in, you're going straight to hell. And he said it straight like that. And my dad hadn't heard that before. And it wasn't something that he was prepared to hear. Yeah, so that medical officer uh, had the courage of conviction yeah. to know that a person outside of Christ doesn't go to heaven, but in fact goes to hell. And he just bluntly, mail to mail, said, if you die in the state you are in now, you go to hell. Yeah. And your disbelief in God doesn't change a bit the fact that God does exist. Yeah, exactly. Wow, I want to be that kind of a witness. Yeah, I know. What a witness. And then how did your dad respond to that? He didn't respond there and then. He wasn't sure what to say. Yes. But I think that started him thinking about things. So that started a process of him considering God, considering whether God did exist. And he said that he knew without a doubt that if there was a God and he did die, he would not go to heaven because his life hadn't been in any way good. God didn't feature in his life. He hadn't asked God for forgiveness or anything like that. So he knew in that sense that if there was a God, he was in, he was in need. That's always the first step, isn't it? Yeah. To uh, being saved or forgiven is yeah. to realize we need it, that Absolutely. we aren't okay. And so your dad mulled it over, mm-hmm. thought it over that, you know, that his life hasn't featured God and, and he wasn't feeling good about his life, what had happened in his life, what yeah. he had done in his life. Yeah. So what's next? This is interesting. After that conversation, he didn't receive any more magazines Mm. from New Zealand. So he had started to think about it. And it was almost like looking back, he says, it's like they served their purpose. Mm -hmm. So he had this conversation. He began to think about God. So at that time, there was a lady who used to come into the prison and she used to read with the inmates. And she was called Gladys Elwood, as far as I can remember. And she was a retired school teacher, and my dad said she was a tiny lady, mm-hmm. very old lady, mm-hmm. but she used to come in and read with these prisoners. Wow. Um, so she read the Bible with my dad, and it was Christmas Eve. Um, I can't quite remember the year, but, you know, in his, while he was in prison. Um, and she read the passage of the thief on the cross. Mm. So Luke 23. Yes. Yeah, so she read that passage with him, and, you know, she explained that, There Jesus was on the cross. He had a crown of thorns in his head. He had um, been whipped and beaten and things like that. And she said, does this man look like a Lord to you? Or does he look like a king to you? But still the thief had said, you know, remember me when um, you come into your kingdom. Yes. 
And I think that really spoke to him. So she left and he prayed to God and he said there wasn't really a, you know, flash of lightning or anything like that. There wasn't something big, Mm -hmm. but he just felt the weight of guilt lift Mm. and his conscience felt clear. I would imagine that took courage and it was inconvenient for an older lady to go to a prison yeah. full of terrorists. <laughs> yeah. But she did that but regularly did because yeah. of her love for Christ and her yeah. love for people that she wanted to come to Christ. Yeah. Bless her. We'll, we'll see her in heaven. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, and so she talked about the thief on the cross, yeah. the, the one that was repentant. Mm-hmm. That, that Well, essentially, the, the one thief said that wasn't repentant said, Jesus, if you're God, get us all down from the cross. Yeah. And then the repentant thief said to the other thief, we're here for the wrong that we have done, but this man has done no wrong. Um, Jesus, remember me when you come into your yeah. kingdom. So he, he believed in Jesus and only Jesus to make him right. Yeah. And Jesus' answer was so beautiful. Yeah, uh, today, today you will be with yeah. me in paradise. That's, that's just the way it is to become a Christian, isn't it, Rosanna? That we have to know that we're sinners and we've fallen short, but that Jesus loves us. He died in our places. Yeah. And we, we look to him and only him. I often think about that, that the repentant thief who Jesus said today, you will be with me in paradise. Mm-hmm. He never joined a church. You know, had no time to do that. He never got baptized. Yeah. He never uh, made restitution if he stole things. He yeah. couldn't. He was on the cross. But the issue for him was putting his full trust that Jesus Christ is God, the Savior of the world. Yeah. And he said, I want you to be my Savior. So he put faith on Christ. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So I love that. So Gladys read that. It would, by the way, is an interesting Christmas story. It is. Isn't it? That it she is. at Christmas time read that. I love yeah. it. But it is. I mean, Christmas... The only reason we have a cross is that we had a Christmas. Yeah, for sure. Another way to say it is the shadow of Jesus crossed was cast over his manger where he was laid after birth. Bless uh, Gladys's heart. I just can picture in my own way, uh, um, maybe a a stooped over lady with a cane and a purse and a Bible uh, going into uh, the maze prison full of terrorists to minister the word of God. Bless her, bless her, bless her. And uh, that reminds me that we all, if we know Christ, if we know enough to be saved, we know enough to help someone else be saved. And so I uh, think of Second Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Let me interject. So Gladys understood that it was Christ's love that compelled her to go to that prison time and time and time again. 
And she didn't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. She didn't write those prisoners off. She didn't say, oh, those nasty terrorists, they can just rot in there. No, she took God's love and God's book to them. Going back to verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So it's not just Gladys who has been given a ministry of reconciliation as a Christian. It's each one of us listeners who know Christ as Lord and Savior. We, too, have been given a message of reconciliation, and it's giving Christ to others. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, I thank you for Gladys, for the risks she took, for the love she displayed, for the prayers she offered, for all the prisoners she ministered to. Thank you, Lord, for the fruit of that ministry being Pastor McCurry. Help them to meet each other in heaven, Lord. Help us to be ambassadors for you in the gospel. And not to look at men as the world does, but to look at people who they either have Christ as Savior or they don't yet. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the grace of God is a, a marvelous, amazing thing. We, we sing about it, and we should. We're, we're going to sing about God's grace for all of eternity. Basically, God's grace is unmerited favor. Uh, God's grace toward us sinners is God giving us the good that we don't deserve. Uh, someone has said that God's grace is the acrostic G for God's, R for riches, A for at, uh, C, Christ's, E, expense, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's all uh, very true. But it's easy for us to abuse God's grace. And I want to share with you a couple of ways that that can happen over the next few broadcasts. The first way that we can abuse God's grace is to reject God's Savior and God's salvation. When we reject Jesus Christ and we, when we reject the gospel that Jesus Christ has died for us and risen from the dead to give us forgiveness and eternal life, when we just reject that, we are abusing God's grace. In 1 John 5, verses 11 and 12, we read, And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. The scriptures are so clear that salvation is found in no one other than Jesus Christ. And when we refuse Christ, when we reject Christ, when we turn away from the good news that he's died for us to give us forgiveness in heaven and risen from the dead, when we walk away from that, that is the, perhaps the ultimate abuse of God's grace. 
You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a Savior.